Today we close out our series on Jack the Ripper. We'll discuss his final grisly killing connected to the canonical five, other potential murders from that time period some believe were committed by the Ripper, and finally, we'll take a look at five of the prime suspects believed to be this elusive monster. I'm Mike. I'm Ian. And I'm Dave. If you're expecting a super cop hero to rush in, crack the case, and save the day at the end of this story, stick around. I reckon you're going to be as disappointed and unsatisfied as one of Mike's college girlfriends after 10 seconds of love in the frat house love nest. This is Necronomapod. I would like to know more, more what these victims could tell us if we had a chance. And for example, with Mary Jane Kelly, Mary Kelly, we don't know if that's really her name, but that was the victim who, according to the newspapers of the era, they called her number seven. She was the seventh victim of Jack the Ripper. Um, some people think she was the fifth. We don't know what she was because we don't know how many people he ultimately killed. But her remains in particular are of enormous interest because he spent more time with her body than anybody else that we know of because she was an indoor homicide and she was he was in the room with her for enough time to, in some instances, deflesh her all the way down to the bone. I've never seen such mutilation in all of my career. Well, we did it. We have uh, killed another keg here in the <laughs> cool down media studios. The elapsed time did not seem to be very extensive. Yeah. Well, I'm a little concerned about that. <laughs> the refill rate is getting shorter and shorter. The first two kegs lasted us about six weeks each. I feel like this one did m- maybe made a month. Maybe. Sure seems like it, doesn't it? Yeah, it only seems like three or four weeks. Yeah, <laughs> sitting here filling up our cups, but just before we're about to hit record, and you get that old <laughs> <laughs> starts shooting out foam like you shoot over a woman's face <laughs> or a man's face. Sorry, I don't want to be misogynistic, Mike. Excuse me. You shoot over whatever you shoot over. Absolutely. Just saying. Fucking kegs empty. I'm upset. I'm distraught. <laughs> You look at so we scrambled. Dave runs upstairs, see what beers he has. I run home real quick, see what beers I have. <laughs> All hell's breaking loose, but we managed. We put it together, and here we are, ready to uh, find out who Jack the Ripper is. <laughs> really, I think so. Very optimistic of you. I mean, I came into this thinking we had solved the case, so I'm I'm ready to learn here through the next ten pages of notes. But my big question is: today, the day we're recording, I saw in the news that Brittany. Gave an impassioned 20-minute uh, speech to the judge in the court case around her conservatorship. And I'm wondering, Mike, if you think she's going to get to take over her own affairs in the near future. Brittany deserves a life, too, Mike. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even know this was a thing. Look, I'll be honest. I know people talk about this. Send it to us all the time. Uh, I did not watch the whole documentary on her, and I did not even know she was in court today. Hmm. I wish her nothing but the best, though, because, come on, it's, so Brittany, it's Brittany, bitch. Yeah, so I don't I don't keep up with a lot of it, I guess, which is I don't know. I've seen some of her stuff she posted online, like these videos and stuff she posts. And uh, she seems seems a little out of it. She seems medicated. Yeah. I don't know if that's her doing it or if that's, you know, her, you know, the people taking care of her or making her do it or forcing her to do it. She said in her testimony today they gave her put her on lithium. She uh, was out of it. Yeah. 
I, I seem know. more interested in this than I actually am. It just happened to be on the <laughs> You're more interested in it than I am. Nightly news with David Muir tonight when I was watching. It's very interesting because it's one of those stories where it's like that documentary came out and it painted her dad out to be a monster. Yeah. But what if it's just a dad looking after his daughter who was in a bad situation? And who could have wound up, you know, bankrupt and... Or pen- dead. And or dead by or, now. Or, sure. Dead by now. You know, whatever she was in. So I want her to be free and to have her money. I mean, she, she has made... Millions upon millions of dollars. She earned it lip syncing right. all those shows. She, I mean, it shouldn't go to her dad. entitled to it. Uh, who was the one that got caught lip syncing on SNL? Oh, uh, Ashley Simpson. It was not Britney Spears, for the record. <laughs> that was very uncomfortable. Were the tape stuck? Is that what <laughs> yeah. happened? Yeah. The look on her face was really uncomfortable to watch. And she just started like, doing a weird dance or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's a Millie Vanilli moment. So I don't know. I, I don't know enough about the story. I'm not going to sit here and shit on a father who might have been trying to take care of his daughter. It's a bad situation. Fair enough. Fair enough. I don't know. I don't know anything about the situation. That's I just thought did you we would learn the, from did you. Did you watch that new documentary? Absolutely though? not. No. Did I you? watched it. Yeah. It was good. Sorry. It was a hit job on her dad, though, right? Yeah. There was not like two sides to that story. Right. You know. Mm. Okay. You would have left that thinking that she was held prisoner. Right. Mm. And maybe she was. We don't, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe the, the new documentary Square Two will cover that. <laughs> get the truth out. They're on it. They're on it. <laughs> They'll set it straight. <laughs> <laughs> then we can just say, have you ever square two'd, bro? <laughs> so, okay. Well, thank you, Dave, for that update. I was not sure, aware. Sure, sure. I just happened to catch it on the news tonight. Do you think she's going to... Get uh, get her freedom back. I don't really have a basis for making uh, an informed call on that. I just happen to see. Just happen to bring up an update. Saturday. Yeah, <laughs> like hey, I'm Dave. Here's pop up video. That, that, here's what I got. Saturday. I didn't do any in depth research on it. I'm not a interested third party with anything to gain from Brittany <laughs> dissolving the conservatorship. I just sure. happen to see it on the news, Mike. I, I would prefer, up your alley. I would prefer her to not post. Uh, lithiumed up videos on mm. Instagram because I mean they are sad to watch like it, yeah. she's just as out of it it's not her she's always got like that mascara running and she's just doing her dances and mm. like she's talking really fast and borderline yeah. incoherently I mean, it's better than her singing right no oh <laughs> If she's the greatest female singer of all time. We've discussed this numerous times. We've discussed this numerous times. Ooh, that's a tall tale there. She is the greatest selling female American artist of all time. And Nickelback's the greatest foreign selling band of all time in, in the world. Ooh, daddy. I, I, facts are facts. What can right. I do? Fair enough. Fair enough. So anyways, it's sad to see her all... Uh, you know, drugged up. I don't know. We here at the pod are praying for her speedy recovery. I know I am. That's I wish her nothing but the best. Thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. Stay tuned. We'll Dave will have more follow up coverage as the uh, court hearings proceed. (laughs) I'll stay glued to my TV. Yep. I didn't know that was even a thing. Okay. Speaking of no court hearings. (laughs) I see what you did there. That was pretty good, man. (laughs) I love my transitions. Where we left off in part two, we had covered four of the canonical five murders and ended with George Lusk receiving the From Hell letter. On October 16th, 1888, a small package wrapped in brown paper and having a London postmark was delivered to George Lusk. It was addressed to him by name and had the name of the street, but did not give his house number. So this guy was like the neighborhood watch guy, right? 
right? Something he, like that. Yeah, he that's basically what he did. <laughs> he organized um I can't remember the exact name, it's something vigilance group. What was something. that uh the group that Dwight had in the office? Where like oh. they were like the neighborhood watch and like Jim walked in and they're like practicing running in and out of cones in the parking lot <laughs> <laughs> with their flashlights. I can't remember the name. Of I it. can't either. God damn. So something like that. This guy was doing. That's what I picked. Okay. <laughs> okay. I mean, I'm sure he's a good dude, but I just picture like the neighborhood, like, you know, just the vigilante. But he's like, no. he's got a flashlight and like a black hat that he wears. <laughs> Or, can, or candle. He's yeah. running in. He's running in out of like just cones in his driveway or his house. You see him like shuffling his feet, practicing. That package contained a decaying piece of kidney with a letter, and the handwriting was the same as that of a postcard that Lost had received a few days before. The letter read, "Quote: I'm going to read this as best I can, but it is uh, terribly written." From hell, Mr. Lusk, sir, I send you half the kidney I took from one woman preserved. I send you half the kidney I took from one woman preserved it for you. T'other piece I fried and ate. It was very nice. I may send you the bloody knife that took it out if you only wait a while longer. Signed, catch me if you can, Mr. Lusk. Mm. I didn't realize there was like cannibal connotations attached to Jack the Ripper. Learn something but, new but, every but show. Are they, or there's just some Joe Schmo well, fucking around. Yeah, we're going to get into that in a bit here. Hold your horses, Mike. <laughs> I just, I'm just pointing out. At first, George Lusk thought this was some kind of like a sick joke. But then after talking to some people, it was de- it was decided to have the kidney examined. The kidney was taken to Dr. Frederick Wiles' Mile End Road Surgery. And although Dr. Wiles was not there, his assistant, Dr. Reed, examined the kidney and gave his opinion that it was human. Eh, looks like a kidney. Yeah, I don't know. Doctor's not here, though. I don't know. <laughs> it's like an assistant slash janitor. Eh. Sure. Yeah. Shaped like a kidney. It's, right. eh. it's like a kidney bean. <laughs> it's a kidney to me. Back in America, they're shoving shit up uh, President Garfield's ass to try to save him, right? Yeah. Meanwhile... <laughs> We ain't doing much better over here. (laughs) Dr. Reed thought it would be good to get a second opinion, and the kidney was taken to the London hospital where Dr. Thomas Openshaw examined it. Dr. Openshaw's opinion, along with most of the medical community, besides that that assistant, as well as the police thought that this was a prank. Since Dr. Openshaw was in the newspapers, he received a letter from another person pranking him, and it read, quote... Old boss, you was right. It was the left kidney. I was going to operate again close to you hospital just as I was going to draw my knife along of her blooming throat. Them cusses of copper spoilt the game. But I guess I will be on the job in soon and will send you another bit of innards. Jack the Ripper. Oh, have you seen the devil with his microscope and s- scalpel a looking at a kidney with a slide cocked up? <laughs> Okay, Pally. <laughs> I suspect this was not a legitimate kidney. No, it doesn't sound That's like That's my it. opinion. Dr. Openshaw getting this prank letter wasn't a rare occurrence. We covered the most popular letters, but in all, there was over 200 sent, and almost all of them were fake. Uh, even the Dear Boss letter that was the first one where he named himself Jack the Ripper, it's debated on whether that's real or not. There's historians that 
a lot of them hold the opinion that the press faked that letter to generate newspaper sales, that Jack the Ripper never did write any letters mm-hmm. at all. Wouldn't be unheard of, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those papers over in uh, England today are still wacky. They're nuts, man, the stuff they print. The coverage of the royal family and celebrities and whatever else. Right? Yeah, but do they have Bat Boy? It's <laughs> <laughs> a, a valid point. <laughs> Bad boy. I'm surprised Ian does not have a Bat Boy tattoo yet. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. Maybe that's I your like neck that. tap. Just Bat Boy's face, like, <laughs> <laughs> like just perked up, like scared, like popping out of your shirt collar, like just oh. lift my chin up. Yeah, if you lift up, you can see him. You lift down, he's hiding again. That'd be fucking awesome. That's a great idea. I love it. <laughs> All right. When I get my 500th episode tattoo, you get Bat Boy. Okay. Now, you don't have to get him on your neck. You just get Bat Yeah, Boy. I won't get him on my neck. But... Forehead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or just get the words Bat Boy like in your lips or like whatever those people do. And they peel down their lips. Or Yeah. I would get a Bat Boy tattoo. I know you sure. would. <laughs> I'll see you at the 500th episode. Right, there was so. never any doubt. We got to <laughs> come up with something for Dave then for the 500th too. <laughs> Getting to the last murder on the Canonical Five, Mary Kelly was well-liked in the Whitechapel area, and the only negative thing anyone said about her was that she drank too much, which that's something we've heard about almost all of these women throughout the past couple weeks. And heard about all of us. (laughs) Yeah. I wish that was the only negative thing they said about Mike, (laughs) That is the lower end of the list of what they say. For eight months prior to her death, Mary had been renting a room in Miller's Court off of Dorset Street in Spitalfields. Until two weeks before her murder, she had been living there with an unemployed fish porter named Joseph Barnett. Because he wasn't bringing in any income, Mary had resorted to working as a sex worker. I don't know who named that Spitalfields, but I just picture a bunch of hillbillies standing around spitting tobacco juice into like a field like Spitalfield. Doesn't the connotation does not bring up like a like oh I want to go visit Spitalfield. <laughs> yeah. Finances led to arguments between them, and during one particularly bad one, a pane of glass in the window by the by their door had been broken. The window was stuffed with newspapers and rags, and was covered by an old coat. Then, in late October, Mary invited a homeless sex worker named Julia to stay with them, in. Joseph Barnett wasn't thrilled with this idea and moved out. I don't know. I might be open to that idea. Living if my wife invited a sex worker to live with us <laughs> for a little while. <laughs> Didn't Charlie Runkle do that on uh, season two of Californication? With the, the porn star the girl? porn star. Yeah. Lived with them. Yeah. Then he thought he fell in love with her. Yeah. I left my wife for you! <laughs> He started representing her as she was on the slam van. <laughs> the slam van, that's right. It's the dude with the handheld camera. <laughs> Anyways. Ian, Californication. And curb your enthusiasm. It's all we ask. A friend of Mary's, Maria Harvey, who gave her occupation as a laundress, told police that she had stayed with Mary in her room on Monday and Tuesday prior to her murder. She had then taken a room in New Court, Dorset Street, but had spent the Thursday afternoon with Mary Kelly in her room at Miller's Court. At around 7 p.m., Joe Barnett came over and Maria Harvey left, leaving behind her black bonnet, an overcoat, two cotton shirts, a boy's shirt, and a girl's white petticoat. 
Joseph Barnett stayed friends with Mary and had last seen her alive when he came over between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. on November 8th, 1888. Friends or friends with benefits? Hmm. Hmm. Friends. Why don't we get investigators like this back then? Asking the real <laughs> questions that are going to get to answers of this case. Or do you think it's like the, uh, do you remember the the Seinfeld where Jerry was dating the massage therapist and, he, mm-hmm. and she wouldn't give him a massage? Is, is it like that? It's like, that's what I do at work all day. <laughs> it's a great episode. He later said that there was another woman with them in the room, in the room, but that she left first. It's unlikely that he was talking about Maria Harvey since he knew her well and would have mentioned her by name. He also said that the woman lived in Miller's court, which Maria Harvey did not. According to Barnett, as he left, he told Mary that he still wasn't working and was very sorry that he was unable to give her any money. Barnett returned to his lodging house and went to bed around 1230 (laughs) a.m. Trying to get freebies, this guy. Around 4 a.m. on the morning of November 9th, two neighbors claimed that they heard a faint yell of, oh, murder. But like we said on part two, people yelling murder wasn't a rare occurrence in Whitechapel because yelling murder was the quickest way to get police attention. People yelled murder for everything from drunken fights to domestic violence incidents. So it's possible that these two neighbors heard Mary Kelly or they could have just heard someone else yelling murder in a whole separate incident. Interesting. I imagine that word was being screamed out like nonstop every night. You mean like. There's been a murder. <laughs> Just like that murder. <laughs> well, I was doing Michael Scott from the, the murder episode. <laughs> At 10.45 a.m. that morning, Mary's landlord, John McCarthy, sent his assistant, Thomas Boyer, to 13 Miller's Court to collect Mary's overdue rent. Boyer knocked twice on the door, and there was no answer. Believing that she was inside, but was unwilling or unable to pay her rent, Boyer stepped around the corner and pulled aside that coat, that was blocking the broken window. Moments later, Boyer went back to McCarthy's shop and said, quote, I knocked at the door and could not make out any one answer. I looked through the window and saw a lot of blood. McCarthy went back to Miller's court with Boyer and recalled the following, saying, quote, The sight that we saw, I cannot drive away from my mind. It looked more like the work of a devil than of a man. I had heard a great deal about the Whitechapel murders, but I declare to God I have never expected to see such a sight as this. The whole scene is more than I can describe. I hope I may never see such a sight as this again. Inspectors Walter Dew and Walter Beck were called to the scene with Dr. Thomas Bond being the medical examiner. Dr. Bond detailed Mary's injuries in his report saying, quote, The body was lying naked in the middle of the bed, the shoulders flat, but the axis of the body inclined to the left side of the bed. The head was turned on the left cheek. The left arm was close to the body with the forearm flexed at a right angle and lying across the abdomen. The right arm was slightly abducted from the body and rested on the mattress. The elbow bent and the forearm supine with the fingers clenched. The legs were wide apart, the left thigh at right angles to the trunk and the right forming an obtuse angle with the pubis. The whole of the surface of the abdomen and thighs was removed and the abdominal cavity emptied of its viscera. The breasts were cut off, the arms mutilated by several jagged wounds, and the face hacked beyond recognition of the features. The tissues of the neck were severed all round down to the bone. The viscera were found in various parts. The uterus and kidneys with one breast under the head, the other breast by the right foot, 
the liver between the feet, the intestines by the right side, and the spleen by the left side of the body. The flaps removed from the abdomen and thighs were on a table. The bed clothing at the right corner was saturated with blood, and on the floor beneath was a pool of blood covered about two feet square. The face was gashed in all directions, the nose, cheeks, eyebrows, and ears being partly removed. The lips were blanched and cut by several incisions running obliquely down to the chin. There were also numerous cuts extending irregularly across all the features. Inspector Walter Dew recalled the scene years later, saying, quote, As my thoughts go back to Miller's court and what happened there, the old nausea, indignation, and horror overwhelm me still. My mental picture of it remains as shockingly clear as though it were but yesterday. No savage could have been more barbaric. No wild animal could have done anything so horrifying. The crime scene pics of this are just horrifying. Yeah, it's out of a horror movie. Yeah. Have you seen these, Mike? I did not. You should take a look at them. I don't know if I want Ian will text them to you. I'm going to text them to you right now, buddy. Like, for real. Oh, my God. Look at these pictures. I'm going to be so sad. Please stop texting them. Uh, This... I mean, it's if I just, may, though, this almost sounds like this doesn't sound like a Jack the Ripper thing. Maybe it sounds like what? Because this was on the this was inside of a room. All the other ones have been outside. He was free to work. Yeah, maybe this is what happens when he has shelter. Maybe an uninterrupted yeah. time. But now we're adding in just a new a new dynamic to all this. So now we're thinking that he did some public murders and some. He was just warming up. Some outdoor. I'm sure he felt rushed. He almost got caught that last time. So he's like, well, he had killed all those other five, though. We're saying all those were all rushed. Well, this the is the fifth one. But he almost, you know, he was outside. He almost got caught the last chat. time. This is how so. we do a shoot. Uh, actual Ian just sent me the picture. So let me look. Oh, my God. I see what you mean, Ian. <laughs> yeah. it, it doesn't even look real. No, like looking at the photo. It like, is savage. Hmm. Like if you could see that if you want Technicolor, see- you know, yeah. good it, quality crime scene yeah, photos of today that it is horrifying yeah i mean if you want to see it you can look it up we're not going to post anything like that even the police drawings from up. back then like yeah. their interpretation is scary as fuck yeah. looking yeah that's an, it almost it just doesn't look real no that's, because it's just i it's mean it's not I, identifiable as a person yeah and i'm not saying that photo was fake i'm saying that just doesn't like it doesn't shock me because my mind is just telling me that's not real but i know it is like it's just that looks well, her eye a mutilated corpse kind of gruesome, but her eye, her eyeballs were still there when she was found. Like not that mm. didn't start to decay yeah. yet. And that Joseph Barnett guy was the one who had to identify her. And Ugh. he said he could only identify her by her eyes and her ears. God damn. Everything else so didn't, creepy. didn't look anything like there was just nothing there. Clearly. Yeah. Mm. So either that's fucked up. You know, there's some hadn't pe- said that to me. <laughs> There's some people that think that this wasn't, um, that there was no Jack the Ripper, that these were all just different murders. Mm -hmm. But if this was Jack the Ripper, if if this was the same guy, I think this would be like, this is what he wanted to do. Culmination. Probably if he could have done this. full body of work. Yeah. Or maybe he would have even gone a lot further with some of the other victims Mm -hmm. if he had shelter. Yeah. Because the other ones weren't pretty either, really, you know. The one seemed like he got interrupted, um, but the, you know, oh, two, the conical, yeah. ca- canonical five, excuse me, conical. <laughs> but two of them on the canonical five had their intestines pulled out and draped over their shoulders and things like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, maybe this is just what he can do when there's no one there to interrupt him. Who knows? 
Mary Kelly is generally considered to be Jack the Ripper's final victim. And it's assumed that the crimes ended because of his death, imprisonment, institutionalization, or immigration. The Whitechapel murder file details another four murders that occurred after the canonical five. Rose Millette, Alice McKenzie, the Pynchon Street Torso, and Francis Coles. So just touch on these these last ones briefly. The strangled body of 26-year-old Rose Millette was found in Clark's Yard, High Street, on December 20th, 1888. There was no sign of a struggle, and the police believed that she had either accidentally hanged herself with her collar while drunk or committed suicide. However, markings left by a cord on one side of her neck suggested Rose had been strangled. At the inquest into her death, the jury returned a verdict of murder. What does that mean? Against who? No one. That's how they did it back then. Mm. They would be like, uh, they would have a jury look at all the evidence and they'd be like, okay, so they were murdered. And then it would say something like by unknown person. Okay. Like all the, all the canonical five, all of them, they went to a jury to mm. be determined that they were murdered. <laughs> the jury's like, we find them guilty of murder. And the, the court's like, <laughs> who? <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> We just gave you evidence. Like, there's, there's nobody's on trial here. Case dismissed. The jury's like, no, fucking murder. <laughs> Defendant's free to go. <laughs> Alice McKenzie was murdered shortly after midnight on July 17th, 1889, in Castle Alley, Whitechapel. She had suffered two stab wounds to her neck, and her left carotid artery had been severed. Several small bruises and cuts were found on her body and a seven-inch-long wound running from her left breast to her navel. One of the medical examiners believed this to be a Jack the Ripper murder. However, his colleague who examined the bodies of three previous Jack the Ripper victims disagreed. Opinions among historians are also divided. Some say that Alice's murderer copied Jack the Ripper to deflect suspicion from himself, and there's others who say that she is a Jack the Ripper victim. It's so hard to even look at that objectively now and go back and go, oh, it's definitely one of his victims. It's like almost 200 years ago. Yeah. Fuck you want from us. <laughs> well, 150, not 200. Yeah. We're getting there. We're getting there. <laughs> I'm short, man. It's not 2080 yet. It's true. 2088. Probably have flying Jetsons cars by then. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> we'll see about that. We're supposed to be having that shit now. I know. Fucking. But 20 years ago, I, I would always say, you know, someday there's going to be like when you have to go to Blockbuster and rent movies and all that bullshit, I would say someday there's going to be a way we can sit on your couch and have access to every movie and every song, you know, ever made in the history of the world right here. Yeah. And then you and let every... someone else get rich doing it. And then you just, you just take advantage on your couch. That's right. And every food known to man deliverable to your couch. So you can sit in well, your basement. Well, in, in our area, at least until 8 p.m. Well, and then, and until 8 p.m., right. We're not in New York City. This can't happen all the time. But if I'm sitting in my basement watching a movie from 1983 and I want some Dairy Queen, it'll be at my door in 20 <laughs> minutes. And it's a, it's a marvelous, wonderful thing. <laughs> I always knew this day would come. And I love it. You get it's a great little, time to be alive. emotional over there. <laughs> you don't like, ever have to leave the house. I like you it went, is fantastic. I like you went with Dairy Queen. Anything. Well, Dairy Queen, not sushi, 
burgers. I was just thinking of sitting there one night. I was watching a movie. I'm like, I gotta go for some Dairy Queen. I go, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> All I have to do is pick up my phone, and then in 10 minutes, there's a, some french fries in a blizzard on my front porch. I'll get the... That's uh, fantastic. What, do you get like a Heath Bar blizzard or something like that? I do get a Heath Bar blizzard. <laughs> I knew it. I fucking knew it. No, this, the Heath Bar blizzard is bomb. That's Butterfinger. I, me too. He, usually Heath Bar, once in a while, I'll venture out yeah. with the Butterfinger and some fries. Yeah. They've recently, yeah. the last few times I've gotten Butterfinger blizzards, realized they put very little Butterfinger in it. I don't know if it's That's the same as Heath Bar. I haven't had Dairy Queen in a while, mm. but Heath Bar or Butterfinger is the way to go. Those blizzards. I can't remember the last time I went to Dairy Queen. What was your mm. go-to blizzard? The people uh, need to know. The strawberry cheesecake one. Oh, uh, okay. It does not sound good to me. I always go with that one. I do like cheesecake. I don't know if I'd, I guess it'd, be, it'd probably be all right. It's kind of like a bunch of strawberry stuff down the middle. Mm. And it's and just vanilla chunks, ice cream? Mm-hmm. And then chunks of cheesecake in there. Maybe that does sound good to me. I'm rethinking I that. think <laughs> I would like it without the strawberries. <laughs> just give me the, the ice cream with the cheesecake. I don't yeah. need the strawberries, personally. I think the last time I went was when Game of Thrones, the last season, was happening. Went? Yeah. Last you didn't time. order in? No, I didn't. No. <laughs> 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 they feel bad. They're like... Paying like eighteen dollars for blizzards, for fucking blizzards, but <laughs> also French fries. You like you like their French fries a lot. Oh yeah, they're good. They're not. Yeah. You don't get like the, like their chili cheese dogs are all right. Their cheeseburgers mm. are good. Cheeseburgers are good. Yeah, their burgers. Actually, are their fries and chi- their chicken blizzard, tenders though. are tasty too. All the food. Dairy Queen's underrated yeah. with their food. Honestly, like eighteen bucks for like, but. If I go myself, I might blow like a 0.25 if I get pulled over, and that'll cost me probably five Gs. So, so there's the kicker. So bad, eighteen dollars for yeah, a blizzard. That's the kicker. It's a hell of a deal if you look at it that way. Yeah. Didn't kill any kids tonight. I don't have to go to jail for the weekend. Like, yeah, it's a win-win. You sit there and you keep watching girls going wild. Eighteen. What the hell was that guy's name? Joe something. Joe Francis. Joe Francis. Didn't yeah. he get in a lot of trouble? Oh yeah. For what though? Like like revenge porn uh, type stuff, right? Or underage stuff? I don't I remember. Underage stuff. That might be right. I was going to say taxes. So I oh, guess we're all that, over the place. That I might be it too. I don't fucking know. Maybe he, he probably did some of that. Maybe all the above. <laughs> oh, you don't think that guy was paying his taxes? <laughs> Wholesome guy like that. <laughs> Upstanding citizen Joe. <laughs> Who was that piece of shit that did the revenge porn stuff? What the fuck was his name? I don't even know what is, you guys are talking he, about. I know who you're talking about. That is anyoneup.com guy? Yep. Like literal scum of the earth Yep. Yep. yep, yep. Oh, is he in jail now too? Something bad happened to him and I was really happy when I read, <laughs> when I read it. I was like, couldn't happen to another guy. Oh, that guy's guy. a piece of shit. Yeah. Yeah, I can't think of his name, but yeah, I know who you're talking about. Like when girls send nude pictures to their boyfriend, they break up. Boyfriends can post them online like revenge. Yeah. So he set up a site for that. Mm-hmm. Like oh, That was yeah. all geared for that. Yeah. Not great. Not quality individuals. Mm-mm. Okay. No. Is it too late to get a blizzard, you think? <laughs> French fries. <laughs> He's just over here snacking. <laughs> Sounded really good. Uh, I think Dairy Queen's open until 10 o'clock. Mm, you not can out be, here, you they're can, not. You can be that guy that orders 19 minutes before they close, <laughs> and they have to wait for fucking Uber Eats to come pick it up. <laughs> Ugh, you're going to get waiting treatment on that one. Nope. I don't do that. I don't fuck with people that serve my I think food. When we're done here, you just go upstairs and you make yourself your own little ice I cream. I think you're probably right. Go to bed. I'll make myself a blizzard too. It's called the pizza roll blizzard. <laughs> Put it in a bowl. <laughs> you douse it in ranch, hot sauce, whatever you'd like. Hold the ice cream. Hunter Moore. 
That's it. Great A piece of shit. Some good anti-bullying things came out of that whole ordeal, though. That's good. So the next one in the Whitechapel murders file was the Pynchon Street torso, which was a decomposing headless and legless torso of an unidentified woman between 30 and 40 years old discovered beneath a railway arc in Pynchon Street, Whitechapel, on September 10th, 1889. Bruising on the victim's back, hip, and arm indicated she had been severely beaten shortly before her death. The victim's abdomen had also been extensively mutilated, although her genitals had not been touched. She appeared to have been killed approximately one day prior to the discovery of, of her torso. Couldn't have been decomposing that much then. If it was warm, I guess, I guess maybe it depends on what the temperature would be. That's true if it was warm. Yeah. And of course, you know, there's people that think that she was absolutely a Jack the Ripper murder. Some people say no. I mean, that's a whole nother thing in itself. Like what the forensics involved and why people do or do not think they were, you know, the same. Yeah. It's pretty subjective when you look at it. I mean, all of it really is. Like some of them maybe are the same person. Like. All of them might be separate. Like, I don't think you really know, right. in my opinion. There there are some historians that, that and people that fully believe that there was no Jack the Ripper. There, there was no serial killer. This yeah. was, or maybe, you know, this was a crime-ridden area. Yeah, right. Maybe there's three Jack the Rippers. People saw in the newspaper what this guy was doing and was like, oh, oh I'm going to do that. Yeah. And then they do their own thing. Yeah, I, it's, how the fuck do you tell? I think it's very part? hard to tell. On February 13th, 1891, police discovered a 25-year-old sex worker named Francis Coles lying beneath a railway arc at Swallow Gardens Whitechapel. Her throat had been deeply cut, but her body was not mutilated, leading some to believe police had disturbed her murderer. Francis was still alive, although she died before medical help could arrive. A 53-year-old man named James Thomas Sadler had earlier been seen drinking with her, and the two are known to have argued approximately three hours before her death. Sadler was arrested by the police and charged with her murder, and he was briefly thought to be Jack the Ripper, but charges were later dropped for a lack of evidence. Hmm. Ian, I don't know if you know this, Mike used to have an herb garden, and he, he named it the Swallow's Garden, Yeah, just like this place. It's true. He would show the girls. He'd be like, I think this is the time. Like, showing the herbs, this is the time. The time for you to start <laughs> sucking my dick. <laughs> no questions asked. That was it. How do you argue with that? Yeah. I think this is the oregano. I got nothing for that one. <laughs> <laughs> the oregano. This is the rosemary. She sucked my dick last night. Oh! <laughs> okay. That's true. That's all I got on that one. <laughs> it's really only the time that works on that one. <laughs> Getting to some suspects. Melvin McNaughton was assistant commissioner of the London Metropolitan Police from 1903 to 1913. Notably, he played major investigative roles in cases that led to the establishment and acceptance of fingerprint identification. Even though he wasn't on the police force while the Jack the Ripper murders were happening, he played a key role in the investigation. McNaughton 
is also where the canonical five comes from, as he wrote in his memoranda that there is no doubt that Jack the Ripper only had five victims. We'll be right back. Is there something interfering with your happiness? Something keeping you from achieving your 2020 goals? Let's face it. These are certainly trying times. From being cooped up inside your home to wondering how you're going to pay next month's bills, we're all experiencing some form of stress or strain on our mental health. And for that, BetterHelp is here for us. BetterHelp is an online mental health provider that will assess your needs and match you up with your own licensed professional therapist. The best part? No waiting rooms. That's a pretty big deal if you're as impatient as I am. BetterHelp is a safe and private online environment that will have you communicating with a counselor within the first 24 hours. And once you've begun, you can send your counselor a message at any time, always getting a helpful response in a timely manner. You even have the ability to schedule weekly video or phone sessions, all from the comfort of your very own couch. BetterHelp is available worldwide and has a broad range of expertise available, including licensed professional counselors who specialize in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflict, LGBT matters, grief, and self-esteem. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're currently recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Not happy with your counselor? No worries. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches and makes it easy and free to change counselors if needed. Remember, everything you share with your BetterHelp counselor is completely confidential. And while it's not a crisis line, it is a convenient, professional, and affordable way to seek the help you deserve. Financial aid is even offered to those who qualify. Want to hear how BetterHelp assisted people just like you? Check out the testimonials posted daily on their site. Look, we here at Necronomapod want you to start living a happier life. So, as a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting BetterHelp.com Necro. Join over 1 million people already taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, BetterHelp.com slash Necro. One of the prime suspects reported on by the media was a guy named Thomas Cutbush, but McNaughton didn't think that Cutbush was Jack the Ripper. In his personal memoranda, he stated that the best suspects were Montague John Druitt, Michael Ostrog, and Aaron Kosminski. His memoirs are interesting because they were found well after he died. They were found by, I don't know if it was a daughter or like a great something someone in like a hundred years later 50 years later like they were much both, later yeah they were they were made public in like i think it was 1959 so oh, shit. It, so it was significantly like later five years later yeah the also thing that needs to be noted that a lot of people uh that are really into jack the ripper point out was that mcnaughton was wrong about a lot of the information regarding these suspects and because of the fact that he listed them these ones get a lot of the attention. So if he was wrong about these suspects, is it possible he was wrong about the canonical five? I think so. Every, (laughs) (laughs) I think it's possible. Yeah. I mean, just because he's wrong about some of the details doesn't mean that one of these guys wasn't Jack the Ripper. Yeah. Right. I mean, who knows really? Just adds to the confusion. Wrong people are usually wrong about more than one thing in my experience. (laughs) When they get multiple things wrong. Yeah, multiple things wrong. <laughs> You're saying he's not off to a good start. I, I, I'm just saying, if someone tells you two plus two equals five, 
be suspect of everything <laughs> else they tell you. <laughs> like one of the big ones I saw was that um, when we get to Montague, John drew it. Uh, McNaughton had him as 41 years old and drew it was 31 years old. So he was like 10 years off on his age. Okay. That's a significant detail. I think <laughs> 10 years. I mean, it's a I, yeah, solid chunk of time. It's 25%. Getting to Thomas Cutbush. He was born in 1866 in Kennington, which is a district about three miles from Whitechapel. And he was 22 years old when the murders occurred. I think everyone should cut their bush. <laughs> you know, I actually, when I was typing out the outline, I got to this guy's name. I was like, all right, who's going to be the first one to make the joke? <laughs> Didn't even cross my mind. <laughs> I actually had no idea for like two seconds what Dave was talking about. And I was like, oh, this guy. <laughs> Doing this, guy. this for almost three years. I've, I've When I see names like this, I'm like, all right, here we go. <laughs> I have never met a man so adamantly hating bushes than I have Dave. Hates them. Uh, just them. even thinking about it makes me like think I got a hair stuck in my <laughs> mouth. Like, <laughs> just a guy with a beard all around his mouth. I mean, that's what it is. Yeah. Hey, I mean, teach their own. It's just uh, you're passionate about it. Go I don't, for it. I don't love it. I won't. I won't do a chick who doesn't have a three tattoo with a halo above it on her back. So, <laughs> you know, we all have our things. We all have our things. I won't do a chick. <laughs> Look here, baby. I won't do you. Where's your three tattoo? It's got to have the little halo above it with the angel wings on the small oh, of her back. God. Yeah, that's weird because I won't talk to people that have that tattoo. That's where we part ways, I guess. <laughs> out, Pally. They always had the biggest bushes, too. <laughs> Smells like motor oil and victory. God. I can't wait for one of our listeners to send us a picture of their Dale Earnhardt tattoo. <laughs> Be so excited about that. Listen up, Arkansas, Mississippi. Alabama, Florida, Virginia, West Virginia, <laughs> North Carolina, South Carolina. Can I have a beer, Mike? Sure. Let's do it on there. Hey, can I get a beer? <laughs> oh, it tastes so refreshing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> See, you can't fake that. No, There's can't. no sound clip of no, a beer opening. There's not. He came from a middle class family. But his childhood was hard since his father left Thomas's mother, Kate, when she was or when Thomas was two years old and went to New Zealand where he got married again. Thomas was an only child and his mother never got married again. Kate and her unmarried sister, Clara, raised Thomas. And it has been suggested by historians that have looked back through some of this stuff that they were suffering from some form of a mental disorder but they were extremely religious women, but it seemed like it was a little out of control due to some mental oxymoron. <laughs> Sorry, I kid, I kid. <laughs> Thomas showed serious behavioral problems in his first job from which he was almost immediately fired. In his second job, he was even worse and he pushed his boss down a flight of stairs. Once he lost that job, Thomas began showing extremely erratic behavior. During the day, he isolated himself in order to read medical books. And during the nights, he wandered around Whitechapel, jumping over the walls of houses in the neighborhood. Extremely quick and really quiet. I, so at this point, might be our guy. Everybody says they <laughs> don't hear a promising. sound every time. Mm. Might be him, Mike. What do you think? 
You can I, save I, your judgments I, all later. I like to picture a guy just randomly jumping over walls in like backyards, <laughs> like running through people's houses, like <laughs> like clicking like, his heels together. Yeah. Zippity doo da, zippity a. Like, did you just fucking see that guy just run through our backyard? Well, you know what's interesting is I saw with like Jack the Ripper, and then this guy, and just the ter- the the name Jack over uh, in London at this time because they have like the urban legend or the folklore of Spring Hill Jack. You What's ever, that? It's like this little demon guy that would just mm. assault people and then <laughs> and then jump over walls super fast. Like he could jump mm. super, super high. And uh, I picture like the Notre Dame fighting Irish guy. Right, like, right, he just right. jumps over, like punches you and punches you in the nuts and then he's yeah. gone. That's pretty much what he did. And then but they would say like he'd have like these glowing eyes and he could spit fire or some kind of blue shit from his mouth. It's terrifying. But that Jack the Ripper, the Sounds name... Sounds like a future bonus episode. <laughs> oh, yes. Patreon.com slash Necronomapod. Spring Hill Jack is for sure a bonus episode. But like that people were already not thrilled with the name Jack from that kind of lore. So Jack the Ripper, you know, hmm. this, this was from the angle of the newspapers created the name Jack the Ripper on purpose. But that people were already kind of freaked out by that name with Spring Hill hmm. Jack. And then this guy might not have actually been good at jumping over walls of houses at night it this guy might have just picked that up from spring hill jack lore mixed with jack the ripper stuff i thought you meant he wasn't good at like you hear him falling in the trash (laughs) (laughs) like you're like oh get a scum no it's just that fucking asshole running home to read his medical books you really just can't believe anything Mm -hmm. in in history because it's always just convoluted and it goes from this lore to this lore and there's always just interesting ways how people derive Right. Where these stories come from. Like, there's a solid chance this guy never was jumping over anything. (laughs) Sounds like Spring Hill Jack to me. (laughs) Hmm. I'll do you one better. I bet his real name was Thomas Trimbush. All right. (laughs) And then the the folklore grew to Cutbush. And they were like, oh, he's got got this whole family. They're up huge bushes. Meanwhile, they're all properly trimmed and nice. And, you know, Dave wouldn't have gagged. And, you know. (laughs) Dave always thinks of the scene out of uh, the movie Waiting. Oh, God. At the end. <laughs> Yikes. That's terrifying. That's one of the scariest scene, movie scenes in history. I'm trying to make him gag like last week when we were talking about eating crusty buttholes. You didn't try. You succeeded. I, I almost threw up all over myself. Very weak stomach. It's presumed that Thomas contracted syphilis from a sex worker in 1888 and from there, his behavior became even more erratic and aggressive. Before being arrested for committing serious crimes, he had already been detained due to improper and violent acts. That was the official name of the charge. He was locked up in an asylum in Lambeth, but that only lasted for four days. Thomas managed to escape by jumping the walls of the asylum. I, I just feel like everyone had syphilis. It seemed like a real issue yeah. back then. A lot of like people. So gross. Like we talked about last week. Like they, you know, poor people showered once a year. Like, you know. Everyone's walking around with their dinglings falling off. Like what did that sex worker look like on, you know, the day before she had her annual shower after the 364 days of I would, having sex I with hope strangers. it's at least ha- half price, right? Like the sushi oh at the supermarket. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing, too, and maybe this Oof. is just me. Like in my head before we went into this, I always thought of. <clears throat> I just have this image in my head of people in London and stuff in 1888, like the Victorian dresses and mm-hmm. things like that. 
but that's not even remotely close. Like these people were basically wearing rags and stuff. Yeah. Like this was the queen was wearing a dress. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> these people are all like absolute poor living in poor. sewage. Yeah. Yeah. Are we going to talk about the fact that this guy was put in an asylum and then just fucking jumped the wall? <laughs> Maybe he was like, good at jumping walls. What? <laughs> like, I'm Springhill Jack. What kind of <laughs> asylum are you building here? <laughs> this guy's just like, yeah, this ain't for me. Bye. <laughs> Is that what Springhill Jack? Springhill Jack. Springhill Jack. Heel. There's my tattoo, Mike. Healed. Springhill. Healed. Springhealed Jack. Oh, healed. Yeah, like healed. Springhealed <laughs> Jack. The power of Jesus. Like he springs off his heel. Okay, yeah. now I get it. He's jumping. I thought he was from like the Springhill yeah. neighborhood or something. No, Springhealed. Oh. Can you imagine that guy in a slam dunk competition nowadays? <laughs> Motherfucker be jumping from half court. This guy or Springhealed Jack? No, Springhealed Jack. Oh, yeah. Jumping from half court. Interesting. I, th- I I think that's their biggest uh, kind of cryptid folklore oh. thing over in London. We got to look into this guy. Yeah, if I'm correct. We got to go over there and do some pub crawling and uh, interview some barkeeps and ask them about Spring Hill Jack. Sounds awesome. I Let's know. So after he jumped the walls of this asylum and took off in 1891, he was convicted of stabbing two women in the buttocks on two different occasions in the middle of public roads like in the middle of broad daylight. Found responsible for these crimes by a medical board, and the doctors diagnosed him psychotic and dangerous. After that, the British justice sentenced him to confinement and medical treatment for an indefinite period until Thomas showed signs of recovery, which he never did. His hospitalization was carried out in the Broadmoor Hospital. As of February 1894, the English newspaper The Sun accused Thomas Cutbush of being responsible for the murders. The public accusations from the paper did not get police attention, and most noted defender was Melville McNaughton. McNaughton suggested Thomas was closely related to Superintendent Charles Cutbush, who committed suicide in 1896, a few years after retiring from the Metropolitan Police. But in reality, they weren't related. He just made it up. <laughs> like the canonical five. Yeah, this guy. Come on. Mm, I'm suspect. Is that the same son that's around today that publishes, you know, telephoto so. topless pictures of Lil- Lily Allen on a beach in Ibiza <laughs> or whatever they do? I'm pretty sure. God damn. <laughs> the son will outlive all of us. <laughs> More like uh, Melville McNaught Wright. <laughs> In more recent times, Thomas has been brought up as a possible suspect. In 1993, author A.P. Wolf made the claim with the essay, Jack the Myth, A New Look at the Ripper. The theory was that the police covered up the criminal's identity. Wolf argued that Thomas's anonymity as a murderer was due to a police conspiracy to hide that Jack the Ripper was a relative of a Scotland Yard chief. However, given there was no relation between Thomas Cutbush and Charles Cutbush, Wolf's essay is largely considered to just be nonsense. How do you write a whole book based on a fact that's not even true? <laughs> that seems a little, I don't know. Like your, your premise for your whole book is wrong. Where do, you even, where do you go from there? Dave, do you mean to tell me there's not books out right now that are based on just nonsensory? Well... 
I think there's probably a large number of books even being released saying. daily that's based saying. on a lot of nonsense <laughs> these days. All right, let's get to the one who really did it, maybe. All right. Maybe. Montague John Drew was born in Wimborne Minster, Dorset, England, on August 15th, 1857. I wish my name was Montague. Do you, though? That is cool as fuck. What was the other name you Montague? guys liked? Uh, you guys liked from Garfield's wife, Lucretia? You'd be Montague with your wife, Lucretia? Lucretia's a cool name. Mm-hmm. Mm. Sir Montague and Madame Lucretia. I like it. Montague's badass. For afternoon tea. Montague has a butler and a, and a driver and a... Does it? Chef. I feel like Montague <laughs> is the butler. Mm, I don't think so. I don't, uh, that's all right. Montague's normally a last it, name, can we Can we call you Monty? I'll do Monty. I like Monty. Oh, yeah. You can call me Monty. Yeah. You're a Monty. Well, close friends can call me Monty. You're a sure. Monty. You guys can. Mr. Montague to everyone else. I drank in an English pub many moons ago, and the bartender's name was Monty. That's awesome. And he wore sweatpants and a t-shirt, <laughs> and he had like a skullet, just like an old-timey <laughs> English dude, and you didn't tip him. You just refilled his cider for him. Fantastic. And that was like how you paid, you know, paid your tip yeah, to him. Yeah. And the, the entire bar just had couches and tables and jukebox and a dartboard. And it was one of the most fun I've ever had in my life. I bet. Partying in London, England with Monty and his skull. He's probably still there today. Probably will outlive all of us as well because he's just sipping on hard cider all day. <laughs> but that was really it. Like you just give him an extra, you know, quarter or something and tell mm. him, hey, Fill up your uh, your drink on me. And he'd be like, thank you. And he'd go fill up. Thank you, mate. Yeah. It was awesome. It was, it was fantastic. It's good stuff. Any hoodles. That's my experience with Monty. So if you're out there, Monty. Here's to you, bud. Hey, cheers. Go ahead and fill one more up on uh, Cool Down Media. Sentence to the bill. Drew was the second son of a prominent local surgeon, William Drew, and his wife, Anne. His father, William Drew, was a justice of the peace, a governor of the local grammar school and a regular member of the local Anglican church, the Minster. Six weeks after his birth, Montague Druitt was christened at the Minster by his great uncle, Reverend William Mayo. The Druitts lived at Westfield House, which was the largest house in the town, and within the property were servants' cottages. Like this was a whole setup. With yeah, sounds great. Drew was very well educated, attended multiple colleges, and afterwards was working for a career in law. To help pay for his training in law, Drew worked as an assistant schoolmaster at George Valentine's boarding school. I would work for a career in law, too, just to wear those cool fucking wigs, right? Oh, that's right. Wow. That powdered wig and of go course. argue in front of a... You have to. Super cool. Isn't that really weird? The what? wig? Like, who came up with that? Yeah. It's very strange. But then if you think about it, like maybe hundreds of years from now, they're like people wore like neckties, like into like a club. I've never understood necktie. I mean, Where we did that, that come last from? week or on a bonus show that you don't love the necktie. But like, imagine that, like you wear something around your neck to be formal. And you pull it really tight. So right. your neck's uncomfortable all day. And like, we laugh at people wearing that? something on their head. Like it's, it's all, you know, just kind of it's all weird. relative to like your time. But like people might look back and be like, oh, these fucking assholes. Yeah. Like, like you could easily kill a guy just by wrapping it around his neck and bowling. I've seen movies where you tighten the necktie and kill some strangle yeah. him. Like what, who thought of that? Like what's the purpose? It doesn't serve any purpose. I agree. It's just, but I'm just saying like, imagine what they might think years yeah, from now. Because no, that's you. what our lawyers were nowadays. Back then mm. they wore wigs. I'd rather maybe wear a wig. I'd rather wear a wig than a tie. 
Yeah, absolutely. I have, a no, I have a no like, tie roll. I, would, I don't want to be too last hot. Week. No <laughs> tie roll. That's what I was saying. We were talking about <laughs> that. I don't want to be too hot, though. And the t- wearing something on your head, mm. you get very hot. Now, you, I also want to breathe, so I don't right. want a tight necktie. Even when I had to wear ties, I never buttoned that top button. You never do. Because it's so uncomfortable. That's, that's how you cheat the game. I get it. I do the same thing. It's just functionally. It serves no purpose. Like, it looks just as cool with a suit jacket and, and uh, just an open shirt. And, but that's my point. The tie, the wig... They mm. literally, not, they serve no purpose. I think we're in agreement here. Yeah, we're all, we're going to look ridiculous either way. <laughs> with a tie. You know, 50 years from now, I'm like, look at these fucking assholes wearing ties. I don't mind a tie. Really? I like the way, a, like, I like the 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 game of, like, matching a tie to your outfit. Like, that that's cool. But I don't know. Like, I'm with, I'm with, I'm with you on, like, I want to like wearing a tie. But I'm with Dave. I'm like, I just don't like it's uncomfortable. It, it you know, it's tight around your neck. It never looks. I don't right. ever want to be constricted like, in any way. Yeah. Like, you know, you got to top. You either got to button that top button or not button it. But then you pull the tie up and it might look sloppy. That's like right. It doesn't look right. So I don't know. I'm, I'm so I usually do the suit, no tie. And you look like a fucking gangster and it's badass. <laughs> yeah. When I got my my fancy office job for the first month, I wore a tie all the time. Yeah. And then when I noticed other people weren't doing it, I'm like, yeah, I don't give a fuck anymore. <laughs> so if you're expecting to show up to a Necronompod live show and see us in suits and ties, not going to happen. Mm-mm. Oh, God. You'd be lucky if we're on clothes, really, as much as we've been, we'll be partying before a live show. And by that, I mean doing cocaine in the back because <laughs> we're all fucking nervous as shit. We need to get through a show. I don't think cocaine would help nerves. <laughs> well, whatever you fucking do, a weed or something. A weed could help. Do a heroin or something. Like, hey, so welcome to the Necronomapod show. How you, how's everyone doing out there? It's great, right? Huh? You guys loving this? I'm loving this. It's fucking sweating. sweating like crazy. <laughs> Wearing a tie anyways. Because you guys like my tie? It's really tight. Should I loosen it? I don't know. I'm not sure what to do. <laughs> so it'd be a lot of fun at the first show. <laughs> now, I, now I imagine like uh, Chappelle, when the, the fucking uh, the crackhead dude. With the white powder all over his nose. I, now I'm picturing him pacing around with white powder on his face. I'm going to have to be the sober one for our first live show. Because let's be honest, you guys are a tad nervous for that. Yeah, I, not really my thing. I wouldn't yeah. love it. See, here's the problem though with that. It's that last week I was not. So I was doing my recreational things. And then I couldn't say the word arc for a long time last week. <laughs> and that would happen at a live. That's the other, that's like the That downside. would be fucking awesome. Because <laughs> then you'd have about hundreds of people just laughing, saying it's fucking arc, dude. Just say the word. I kept saying arch. Or what? Yeah. I can't remember. You One way, a, I was saying it You wrong. were having a moment. It happens. Well, it's arch, right? And today you're saying arc, so maybe it's backwards. I don't remember. He was somehow reading it wrong, though. Wasn't he, though? Like Something. I, was, I, was, I couldn't say it. But that's... It's either I'd be really, really nervous, or I maybe get a little too fucked up, and then I can't speak right. You got to get it right, right in the middle. Yeah. Anyways, that'll be a time, I guess. Somewhere in the distant, <laughs> far distant future. Five years, we'll do a show. <laughs> be awesome. I'm doing a show now. It's just fine. Sitting in the basement. Mm-hmm. I agree. Someone just text me. Uh, you can leave this in if you want. Just text me uh, a link on Twitter and said, uh, man, this is sad. And it was a video of the Britney court thing today. Oh, there so, you go. 
clearly I have have a type and people know <laughs> I guess maybe it's Anyways. because you wear Britney Spears shirts I am not wearing one right now Yeah, but I mean you have two of them two that I know of it's true I do have two anyways thank you Brad for sending me that <laughs> I'll, I guess I'll watch it later <laughs> so on November 30th 1888 Drew was fired from his job at the boarding school the reason for his firing is unclear uh, I saw that there was a lot of stuff out there about the possibility that that he was gay. And we remember, I think that was in part one, we talked about they passed that act to criminalize homosexuality. So one newspaper quoting his brother William at the inquest testimony reported that he was fired because, quote, he had gotten into serious trouble, but didn't go into any further details. In early December 1888, Drew disappeared. And on December 31st, 1888, his body was found floating in the River Thames. Stones in Drew's pockets had kept his body underwater for about a month. That's not right, Mike. You got to put cement shoes on him, right? Oh, where's your cement <laughs> shoes? <laughs> <laughs> That's about right. Yeah. Got it. I mean, you can't what? just put rocks in your pocket. <laughs> Oh, you need to sink to the bottom. <laughs> that does. That seems very like lackluster. Like right, just rocks in the pocket. Yeah, eventually you're gonna come up, right? Yeah, you would think. Yeah, you, yeah. Got, you gotta give him the old uh, chains and anchors, like big pussy. He's gotta go to the bottom. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> or show up with his tie. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> He's a mob. If a smart mobster would not wear a tie. Mm. Mafia would- Mike would not wear a tie. Andre Chicatillo never wore, would wear a tie. <laughs> It would have to be some pretty big fucking stones to keep him down for a month. Right. That's true. That's true. Or unless they just either he or whoever killed him just jammed like I feel like even like just some basic stones wouldn't keep somebody down. If it's going to fit in a pocket, it's not going to keep you down. (laughs) But who knows what was in the Thames at this time holding him down? I mean, they used it as an open sewer. There probably was a lot think, more. There so probably was a lot more garbage. Even just attached to this guy. They probably bet. just didn't floating under garbage. I didn't even see him. <laughs> three, oh, what's that? Three feet of, <laughs> three feet of trash and the right. body right. like bobbing exactly. around. Druitt's mother suffered from depression and was committed in July 1888. She died in an asylum in Chiswick in 1890. His grandmother committed suicide while insane. His aunt attempted suicide and his older sister and his oldest sister committed suicide. A note written by Druitt and addressed to his brother William was found in Druitt's room at the boarding school and it read, quote, Since Friday, I felt that I was going to be like mother and the best thing for me was to die. After they held a jury again for for his death. And it was concluded that Druitt had, quote, committed suicide by drowning while in unsound state of mind. I'm in an unsound state of mind right now. <laughs> Thinking about that Dairy Queen. I'm a little intoxicated. <laughs> no telling what I'm going to do. This guy's dream- dreaming about heat bars, french fries, and ice cream right now. Hey, that ain't a bad life. Shortly after Mary Kelly's murder, stories that Jack the Ripper had drowned in the Thames began to go around. In February 1891, the MP for West Dorset announced that Jack the Ripper was, quote, the son of a surgeon who had committed suicide on the night of the last murder. Although the MP did not name a suspect, the description resembles Druitt. Victorian journalist George R. Sims noted in his memoirs, The Mysteries of Modern London, quote, the Ripper's body was found in the Thames after it had been in the river for about a month. 
Similar comments were made by Sir John Moylan, assistant under secretary of the Home Office. He said, quote, the Ripper escaped justice by committing suicide at the end of 1888. And Sir Basil Thompson, who was the assistant commissioner of the CID in 1913, said, quote, the Ripper was an insane Russian doctor who escaped arrest by committing suicide in the Thames at the end of 1888. Worth noting that neither Moylan or Thompson were involved in the Jack the Ripper investigation. <laughs> People are just spouting off whatever they want. Well, it, the, the last guy said it was a Russian doctor, which drew it was not Russian, and he was not a doctor, so. There's just, there's, there's no rules. <laughs> hmm. These are government officials. Oh, yeah, that guy killed him, so. <laughs> hmm. Like we said, Melville McNaughton named Drew as a suspect in his private handwritten memorandum. McNaughton noted the coincidence between Drew's disappearance and death shortly after the last of the canonical five murders and claimed to have unspecified, quote, private information that, quote, left little doubt Drew's own family believed him to have been Jack the Ripper. McNaughton incorrectly, and this goes back to what we said earlier, that McNaughton said that Drew was 41 years old, um, which he was not. He was 31, and he made allegations that he was, quote, sexually insane without providing a source or details of that in his <laughs> memorandum. He just said huh. he was sexually insane. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a ticket. Sexually insane. <laughs> just throw out terms like that and no follow-up. I don't think you can believe any of the, you know, the details from back then. Hogwash. 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 Hmm. Inspector Frederick Aberline, who was the leading investigator on the case, dismissed Druid as a suspect on the basis that the only evidence against him was the coincidental timing of his suicide shortly after the fifth murder. Other officials involved in the case believe that the murder of Alice McKenzie on July 17th, 1889, was a Jack the Ripper murder, and that was seven months after Druid's death. So if, Al if Alice McKenzie's a mm -hmm. victim, then... He's not the guy. Yeah. Next one is Aaron Kosminski. Uh, he was born September 11th, 1865 in Klodawa in Congress, Poland, then part of the Russian Empire. Like many other Jewish families, his fled Poland and eventually ended up in London. In London, Kosminski worked as a barber in Whitechapel. However, it was reported that he had, quote, not attempted any kind of work for years by 1891. He possibly relied on his sister's families for financial support and may have lived with them off and on. On July 12, 1890, Kosminski was placed in Mile End Old Town Workhouse due to mental illness and was released three days later. On February 4, 1891, he was returned to the workhouse, possibly by police, and on February 7, he was transferred to Colney Hatch Lunatic Asylum. A witness to the certification of his entry recorded as Jacob Cohen gave some basic background information and stated that Kosminski had threatened his sister with a knife. It's unclear whether this meant Kosminski's sister or Cohen's sister. I like that politically correct uh, lunatic asylum. <laughs> you officially named. <laughs> Kosminski remained at the Colney Hatch Lunatic Asylum for the next three years until he was admitted on April 19, 1894, to Leavesden Asylum. Case notes show that Kosminski had been having mental illness issues since at least 1885, 
his illness took the form of auditory hallucinations, a paranoid fear of being fed by other people that drove him to pick up and eat food dropped as garbage. And he refused to bathe. So did everyone else yeah, back there. I was gonna, so that was different how? When he hit his one year, uh, yeah, his one yeah, year right. bathing time, he's like, no, nah, I'm good. It's your bathing day, fella. No, no. <laughs> I decline. He was once every two years, Dave. <laughs> Imagine that butthole. Oh, God. <laughs> the cause of his illness was recorded as, quote, self-abuse, which is thought to be another phrase for masturbation. Yeah. God is that Mike self-abusing himself over there? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Yikes. Self-abuse. <laughs> him eating like this, like this fear of having people feed him and him eating garbage and stuff kept him emaciated for years. By February 1919, he weighed 96 pounds and he died the following month at 53 years old. Mm. In his written memorandum, McNaughton suspected Kosminski because he, quote, had a great hatred of women with strong homicidal tendencies. It's worth noting here that this written memorandum and then the other memoirs we're going to talk about, no one says Aaron Kosminski in these. They only say the last name Kosminski. Mm. So we might not even be talking about the same Kosminski. <laughs> <laughs> In 1910, Assistant Commissioner Sir Robert Anderson claimed in his memoirs, The Lighter Side of My Official Life, that the Ripper was a, quote, low-class Polish Jew. Chief Inspector Donald Swanson, who led the investigation, named the man as Kosminski in notes handwritten in the margin of his presentation copy of Anderson's memoirs. He added that Kosminski had been watched at his brother's home in Whitechapel by the police, that he was taken with his hands tied behind his back to the workhouse and then to Colney Hatch Asylum, and that he died shortly after. But again, it just says Kosminski. It does not say Aaron Kosminski. I wonder how fairly common that name was. I mean, there were Even a ton still, of... still, like, you would think you'd, you're going to be formally uh, identify and recognize someone <clears throat> instead yeah. of just... Sort of you know, referring to them in your reports as just the one name, even if there's two. I mean, then you got you got a conundrum on your hands. Yeah, it's all fishy. Very fishy. Mm. Oh, fish and chips sounds good right now. <laughs> if you're telling me if you could Uber Eats fish and chips here right now, you wouldn't do it? Goddamn. I would wouldn't? for sure. Yeah. What are the three best things to ever come out of London? Fish and chips, right? What else? Oh, Spice Girls. Amy Winehouse. Oh, Spice Girls, please. Don't insult Spice me. Spice Girls. So that's it, Fish and Chips, Amy Winehouse. No, I did not say Amy Winehouse. I did not say Spice Girls. (laughs) Jesus, I don't know. That's that's a random question thrown in the middle of a drunken conversation. I have to think about this. Amy Winehouse is okay. I don't hate her. Like I'm not I'm not gonna shit on her. She's in my top list. She's not a Spice Girl. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's the point. I used to have uh, That's why she's in the top three list. Well, I don't know, man. I don't have a third. Well, I mean, ginger, obviously, first. Posh, probably second. (laughs) Baby, third. Scary, fourth. And sporty, fifth, I think would be my list. Which one married David Beckham? Posh. Victoria. Victoria Beckham. To you, Pally. Yeah. (laughs) Miss Beckham. To you, Pally. This guy's Uh, got the weirdest fucking taste. So where was she? You mean the greatest English act of all time? (laughs) Take a seat, Elton John. (laughs) You might learn something. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, it's called talent. Maybe he'll what? find it someday. <laughs> Paul McCartney actually said he would sell all of his stuff to the Spice Girls if they would take it. And they're like, no, we don't like trash. We'll just keep making our stuff. Really? Yeah. Yo, I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want. So tell me what you want, what you really, really want. I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to really, really, really want to zig a zig. Ah. Hey, you asked the question. You got your answer. I didn't ask you to rate the Spice Girls. Well, I did. I gave you the five best right. things ever come. Fair enough. We'll move on. Well, Ian, give us his answers. At least you and I got fish and chips. We agreed on. <laughs> Smithix? I'm a big fan of Smithix beer. I hate it. Oh, I love Smithix. Awful. I love Smithix. It's not, it's not bad. You can only have like one of them, though. Oh, I, I don't know. I oh, drank a lot of it. What else did I drink? When I was over there, I drank Carlsberg. I don't know where that's from. I, like I drank a lot of Carlsberg. That's where I was drinking when I was tipping Mick with his cider. So yeah. Mick, I'll take another pint of Carlsberg. <laughs> Fill yourself up. Have some apple juice. Yeah. <laughs> Well, he'd call it apple juice. <laughs> Motherfucker was probably getting loaded every night. Is the cider like 3%? I don't it's know. It's not very high, right? I have no idea. Hmm. I just know that the guy was drinking them all night long and no sold everything. So, and he, I mean, he was there. We went multiple nights in a row. He was there every night and his sweats and his t shirt. It was awesome. Hmm. It's still like that, all that sweetness. I couldn't take that. Oh, all the time. God. It sounds awful. It's too much. Carlsberg and uh, what else did I what did I say? Uh, Smithix, Smithix I like and Stella. I drank a lot of Stella. I like Stella. Yeah, Stella's not bad. France though. All right, that's all I got. And I, Ian's gonna pass on ranking his Spice Girls. That's fine. Yeah. I accept. Some other day. Well, who did you put first? I used to always like Ginger. She was curvy back then. I enjoyed that. Yeah. Is that the blonde girl? She was the redhead. Oh, I don't know any of these people. <laughs> uh, I'm telling you. All right. Well, I'm learning. The blonde was Baby Spice. Yeah, I do know that. Sadly, you, I know what he's talking. You like about. Scary Spice? She was the the black one. Yes. Yeah, of course you do. Yeah, I like her. That's your girl. Posh was like the the model looking one who married David Beckham, and Sporty was just the you know the athletic Sporty one. I think we covered all five. And then Ginger left, and it oh was my like God. the world exploded. <laughs> and then like I remember like the four of them went on tour, and people were like. Really? It's like four of you. Like, it's mm. not even like all the Spice Girls. I don't know. That was mm. the end of it. I didn't know. For that. the record, I don't actually, I wasn't a huge fan. I just happened to know a lot about the Spice Girls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, yes, because I'm afraid to admit what I like on this show. I've always been, you know, so kayfabe with my likes. So in 1987, Jack the Ripper author Martin Fido searched asylum records for any inmates with the name Kosminski and found only one, Aaron Kosminski. At the time of the murders, Aaron apparently lived either on Providence Street or Greenfield Street, both of which addresses are close to the sites of the Canonical Five murders. The addresses given in the asylum records are in Mile End Old Town, just on the edge of Whitechapel. McNaughton's notes say that Kosminski indulged in, quote, solitary vices <laughs> and in his memoirs anderson wrote of the suspects quote unmentionable vices both which match the claim in the case notes that aaron kosminski committed quote self-abuse oh, self-abuse <laughs> that was the name of my first album solitary vices <laughs> Did you play the skin flute on that album? <laughs> the whole album is just no homage to jerking off. <laughs> so 
Swanson's notes match the known details of Aaron Kosminski's life in that he reported that the suspect went to the workhouse and then to Colney Hatch, but the last detail about his death happening early does not match Aaron Kosminski, who ended up living until 1919. That was a great year to be alive, 1919. Yeah. I don't know. Probably, well, of course probably it was. Not. He would know. <laughs> you set yourself up for that one. <laughs> Soon as it, uh, Ian and I were born like mom. Ian and I were born like ninety years later, <laughs> something like that. Anderson claimed that Jack the Ripper had been identified by the quote only person who had ever had a good view of the murderer, but that no prosecution was possible because both the witness and the culprit were Jews, and Jews were not willing to testify against each other. Swanson's notes say that Kosminski was identified at quote, the seaside home, which was the police station in Brighton. And there was a lot of anti-Semitism baked into all these notes and uh, views yeah. and everything we talked about. Clearly, yeah, here. <clears throat> I mean, was that last week or two weeks ago? Is that part one? Anti-Semitic Mike? I don't ever want to see him no. here again. <laughs> He's not wel- ran him out of here. He's not welcome back. I think it was part one. You guys yeah. made me read that awful thing. <laughs> well, in part two, there was the, the graffiti that was written on the wall that says... That's right, that they weren't sure if it was coincidence or if it was put there right by like the killer yeah something like that like honestly from like everything with jack the ripper you could do a whole fucking episode on that graffiti sure there's people that have just dug into that one little aspect of this whole thing some historians say that this identification never happened while others use it as evidence for their theories for example in his memorandum mcnaughton states that quote no one ever saw the white chapel murderer which directly contradicts Anderson's and Swanson's recollection. Sir Henry Smith, acting commissioner of the City of London Police at the time of the murders, dismissed Anderson's claims that Jews would not testify against one another in his own memoirs, later written the same year, calling it a, quote, reckless accusation against Jews. You hear that, anti-Semitic Mike? Reckless. (laughs) I like that the only thing out of all of this is that they wouldn't testify against each other is the only reckless accusation (laughs) made. Meanwhile, they've been saying fucking everything else, but they'll testify against each other. Don't you (laughs) dare say they won't. In Kosminski's defense, there is no record of him in any surviving official police documents except McNaughton's memo and then these other memoirs we just talked about. In the asylum reports, he was described as harmless, but the canonical five murders happened in 1888, and he wasn't fully committed until 1891. Mm. So. But then in like, 20, was it 2014, that whole study came out where they somebody bought a victim's shawl at a garage sale, and they ran DNA testing against it, and they found DNA from one of his descendants on the shawl. But everyone questioned the actual accuracy of the DNA test. So that was a whole thing. Yeah, I, I saw that one and there was like one or two other DNA things. Yeah, it's but crazy. Then the, but then at the end of it, it was like one side says, yeah, the other mm. side says no. So not, I'm not a DNA expert or anything, but they it was that mitochond- mitochondrial DNA testing where it could, you know, like 1% to 10% of the population. Like it's not exactly right. You know, you're not excluding people based on. So what it's show, possible. What show was this or a documentary? Somebody wrote a book and they, they paid for DNA testing oh, on somebody that. I thought you said you watched something. Mm, they bought 
a shawl that was believed to have been worn by the Eddowes, the Eddowes victim. Oh, Catherine Eddowes. Yeah. And they found on DNA testing on blood on the shawl that it traced back to both a descendant of Eddowes and a descendant of Kosminski's. But everyone questioned the accuracy of the DNA testing. Yeah, because so, I mean, how... 150 years later? Yeah, how good can that DNA be? Or that, whatever it is, yeah. yeah. Like, no one's going to jail over that DNA. <laughs> no, no, in the, they're in not. In the courtroom today. Only so. in West Memphis, Arkansas, would <laughs> yeah. people go to jail over that DNA evidence. <laughs> well, but they listen to you, too. <laughs> well, they're devil people, then. Obviously. It's interesting, though. The last one on McNaughton's list was Michael Ostrog. He was born in Russia in 1833, and little is known about his early life. Any record of Ostrog popped up after immigrating to England because in 1863, at 30 years old, he committed his first known robbery at the University of Oxford while using the alias of Max Grief. (laughs) For this, he was arrested and sentenced to 10 months in jail. That's like a BDSM porn actor name. <laughs> Max no, Grief. Say, Max Grief sounds like a name out of like Twisted Metal, the video game. <laughs> <laughs> Max Grief. I'm not sure this thing's going to fit in you, but we're going to try. <laughs> Max Grief. Coming soon to theater near you. <laughs> the following year, Ostrog was again put in jail for three months for various frauds committed in the city of Cambridge. In December 1864, he was sentenced for eight months again for fraud. Two years later, in 1866, he was given seven years in prison for a series of robberies, mostly stealing gold watches from a jewelry store. In 1873, Ostrog left prison and soon began another series of thefts. He was arrested and taken to the police station, where he resisted and tried to fire a gun at the officers. In January of 1874, as a result of robberies, contempt, and attempted murder, he was sentenced to 10 years and would be released in 1883. Four years later, in July 1887, Ostrich stole the trophy from a cricket contest and was sentenced to six months in prison. This guy's rap sheet's longer than a... (laughs) I got nothing. (laughs) If it was a cop show, that's what they would be like when they pulled his jacket. I want to talk about doing six months for stealing a cricket trophy. (laughs) God damn, they don't fuck around. He was freed again in March of 1888. And at the time, documents say that prison authorities considered him cured. (laughs) It's a miracle. (laughs) Healed. However, in an article by Police Gazette at the time, it was argued that he was very dangerous. In September 1888, while in Paris, France, he committed another robbery and was sentenced again. He then left and returned to England. So what are these, like, opinion? What's the police gazette, like, opinion pieces that, like, the police write? Like, uh, we consider him very dangerous, like, warning the public? I guess. That's interesting. The police gazette. What if we have one of those nowadays, Dave? Hmm. 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 <laughs> I'd just subscribe. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> In 1891, he was admitted to an asylum in Surrey. After this, Ostrog continued to periodically leave and enter prisons for theft, scams, and frauds until 1904, when any records of him stopped being made, and it's presumed that he died somewhere between getting out of the asylum that he was admitted to in 1891 and when records stopped in 1904. (laughs) Yeah, that would make sense. Even though McNaughton named Ostrog as 
a Jack the Ripper suspect. There was no evidence of violence in his past. It was all just thefts. Philip Sugden, an expert on the Jack the Ripper case, located police records that stated Michael Ostrog had been charged with minor crimes and imprisoned in France in 1888 during the period of the Jack the Ripper murders. So we Fucking have... McNaughton has added nothing <laughs> to this story. Not seen a lot of lies and bullshit. No. He's fucked it all up. This fucking guy is the exact opposite of Ray Biondi. I would like to go on record and say officially. (laughs) Not only that, that if any of these guys actually did it, he's casting doubt on whether, you know, any evidence that would point to them based on this incorrect information. He is the Michael Scott of (laughs) investigators. Who was it? He was fucking retired, right? Like, he wasn't even on the case officially. Uh, No, he didn't even. Yeah, he wasn't. He didn't start until, was it 1903? Maybe he's the Dwight Schrute looking up like the marijuana that was thrown in the 15 years later. This guy. It's like the Bible, you know, written hundreds of years later and Stop taken to be uh, accurate. How dare you, Accurate sir. representation of <laughs> wow. events when, you know. Jesus. <laughs> it's like me writing a World War Two or World War One firsthand account now. How accurate is that going to be? About as accurate as the Bible. You should write one, though. <laughs> you think so? <laughs> See what you come up with. Okay. <laughs> See what you come up with. If it's no good, we'll slap the term novel on it. And then it's, you know, it's fiction. And then they crucified Woodrow Wilson. And then he uh, went Rose up to heaven. And dead. three days later, he came back as Dwight Eisenhower. <laughs> <laughs> so let it be written. So let it be done. See how that works? We just wrote the greatest history book of all time. <laughs> it's not that hard. That's what they all said to me. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, McNaughton, fuck out of here, Pally. You are not on the Necronomapod, Mount Rushmore. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that guy. Maybe the shit Mount Moore, Mount Rushmore. The shit Mount Moore. (laughs) Shit Mount Moore. The shit Mount Rushmore. So I guess these are the main suspects from a historical point of view, based on the memoirs from investigators and McNaughton. Because like I said... There's so many more, though, too. Like, you'd be here all day. Yeah, I think what I counted all together that we could have... You mean a part four? (laughs) Stop it. I think there were, like, a little over 30 different people that we could have dug into. Like, H.H. Holmes is on the list. and Then Casey Anthony's on the list. (laughs) Jody Arias, who you guys would fucking marry, is on the list. O.J. Simpson's on the list. Michael Jackson's on the list. But we, they hadn't watched Square One, so... Well, they didn't have a they they didn't television have, back then. Yeah. Had only they seen Square One, he'd been taken off the list. <laughs> but like someone thought it was a mad midwife slaughtering people. Mm-hmm. Like, there's tons of them. Prince Albert. There's the whole Jill the Ripper theory. Jill the Ripper, right. That it was a woman. Or that painter, Walter... I wrote that was it. Walter Sickert. Someone wrote a book about that. Mm-hmm. Like, it's all over the place. So, yeah. I mean, if you want to... Thomas Jefferson, I believe, was mentioned a few times. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. Alexander Hamilton was, but they dismissed him, actually. So take that for what it's worth. I'm not sure that timeline exactly works. No, it so. adds up. Okay. It adds up. Okay. You can just look at the books. It adds up. Mm-hmm. JFK was actually oh, looked into. Okay. He was questioned. It's a new one. His dad paid him off, though. He's clear. I'm sure that there is a book written about each of those 30 suspects. Oh, yeah. Probably more. It just seemed like when I was reading that everything kept pulling back to the McNaughton memo. 
Oh, well, you're going to hear about it from people. They're all oh, going to yeah, be like, oh, what about this guy? This is the guy. Yeah. You didn't even talk about him. So I feel like everything was pulling back to those. And even though they're not credible at all, really. Goddamn. That's how he says that. <laughs> I figured. Boom. Maybe that Kosminski guy. I don't know. That seems to have the most weight of these three. I, I guess. I agree with that. Um, but going through the ones that I went that I went through, there was one that stood out to me that was pretty interesting. A guy named Charles Lechmere, which he pulls back into. I think it was part one. We talked about the murder of Marianne Nichols. Lechmere was commonly known as Charles Cross. And when we talked about him during the murder of Marianne Nichols, we referred to him as Charles Cross. So that's how we're going to go forward with it. Charles Cross was born on October 5th, 1849 in Strand, London, England. Growing up, he had two stepfathers and never knew his real father. Charles married Elizabeth Bostock in 1870 and had 12 children and died in December of 1920 at 71 years old. 12 kids. No condoms going on there. Mm-mm. What's a condom? <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine that like there's barely any room for people? They're all in these lodging houses and right. then you have 12 kids. 12. Yeah, Jesus. You own a lodging house at that point. <laughs> <laughs> you have to get a lodging house for your family. Just a horrific existence. I can't even imagine. I, yeah, I couldn't even remember the name of the kids. <laughs> like, how would you even remember your kids' <laughs> names? Who are are you again? But I always look back and think like, (laughs) like that, that was what they knew their life, right? Like they knew that people might look back on us and be like, how do you live that way? Like you actually had to like drive to a location. You couldn't just like close your eyes, blink three times. And then you were in Texas or California. Like you actually had to travel 12 hours. I guess. And you know what I mean? Like it's, I don't know for them, this was life. I mean, looking back, obviously it still is not great. But I don't know. Imagine your life as a kid, Dave. You'd have to drive drunk to Dairy Queen. Now it's brought right to you while you're exactly. fucking watching Casablanca in 1080p on your couch. On 1080p? Your big what is this, 2017? I don't watch anything less than 4K, my friend. Well, it's Casablanca. Is Casablanca in 4K at these Absolutely. days? Absolutely. Okay. Excuse me. Sorry, Casablanca is now in 4K. I don't know. I'm pretty sure there's a 4K print. There probably is. Yeah. Um, what the fuck do I know? So Charles Cross was first brought up as a possible suspect by journalist Christer Holmgren and criminologist Gareth Norris in a 2014 documentary, Jack the Ripper, The Missing Evidence. In Cross's testimony to the inquiry, he claimed that he was going to work as a meat driver when he found the body of Marianne Nichols at 3.40 a.m. on August 31st, 1888. That's when Robert Paul, who was walking past, saw him leaning over the body. Cross said that after he saw Paul, he called him over to look at Mary's body. There was no blood visible, but by the time a constable showed up, blood had pulled around her neck, suggesting that the cut to her throat was fresh when Cross and Paul were present. Also, neither man reported seeing or hearing anyone else in this alley, which had no side exits. So who the fuck? If it was fresh. Who did that? It's speculated that Cross may have murdered Marianne and then began mutilating her body when he heard the sound of Paul's footsteps and then tried to portray himself as the one who found her body. That documentary also points out that Cross did not come forward until Paul mentioned him to the press when he gave evidence of a man named, quote, Charles Cross at the inquest. 
The home address of Cross, visits to family, and his route to work were also close to the times and places of other Jack the Ripper murders. His routes to work would have Cross passing through three streets around the same times as Martha Tabram, Marianne Nichols, and Annie Chapman were murdered. The murders of Elizabeth Stride and Catherine Eddowes, or like we said, the double event that happened in the same night, occurred on a Saturday, which was his only night off from work. Stride was killed close to Cross's mother's house in the area he grew up as a child. Other similarities include the direct route from Elizabeth's murder scene to the location of Catherine's murder also followed the same path Cross used for 20 years to go to work. Mary Kelly was also murdered near his route he took for work. The time frame in which she is estimated to have been killed also matches his route. Although the day she was killed was a holiday and he may have had the day off. Don't know, but I mean, that circumstantial evidence there is more than anybody else. All these other things we talked about. Yeah. And I'm sure somebody will come at me and say, hey, here's so and so. And here's why everything Mm -hmm. like the guy you brought up, the painter. Mm -hmm. I saw a whole thing, on whole thing on it. That's right. So that's what What I got. So the police never followed up with this guy. No, this was. This was, I mean, I know it was well after the fact when the documentary came out, but this was someone that was never like, so then how did this, uh, this, this was a Gareth Norris. How did he come across, you know, cross? How did he come across cross? I think he's just researching, looking just into looking the backgrounds into of everybody that's involved because he's the one that found Mary, Marianne Nichols body. Reading the inquest testimony and yeah, saying, oh, wait, that doesn't match up or interesting. Not as interesting as I thought this story. I didn't know that much about. It. I didn't have like you an mean overall knowledge overall. of overall. Yeah. So we're 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 in the sum up phase. Okay. Here we go. So Dave, <laughs> your final thoughts. Not as interesting as we thought. Kind I, of an H. H. Holmes type. I don't think there's enough evidence to point to any of these people. I think it's probably just a. a I don't think it's certain that it's one person to begin with. I think it was probably a very violent time. And well, we're talking about 3,000 years ago. Like, come on. <laughs> well, I mean, the what, earth what was just formed, right? What are, we right. what are we supposed to do? Like, they didn't bathe. I think it's questionable whether it was one person to begin with, but I think it was probably just randos that are lost to history. I don't think there's enough evidence to point to any of these people. So are you indicating that there might not... Your theory is that there's no Jack the Ripper? I think it's... Quite likely, yeah. So it was mul- just numerous murders. I think even it's though, po- even well, though, like, I'm the, not going to say quite likely. I think it's possible that five it was five were very similar. Similar. You would say that maybe that's one person. It's not that similar. I think it could be more than one person. Some copycats. But I think it's also probably just some rando that you're just never going to know. I don't think there's enough evidence to point to any of these unusual suspects. So it's more like Jack the Rippers. I think it's possible. What did you say last week? Jacks the Ripper. Jacks the Ripper, like attorneys general. Yeah. Sure. I don't recall, but sure. <laughs> you said Jacks the Rippers. Yeah, I like yeah. Jacks the Rippers, but I also just reminded <laughs> me of uh, Full House Jesse and the Rippers. Oh yeah, phenomenal. And uh, was that a play on this Jesse and the Rippers? Hmm. I wonder. Hmm. Hmm. Anyways, I don't think it's any of these people. There's no evidence to support that. Okay. How do you know? Like, you just, yeah, you just I don't, don't like, I don't, like that's what I'm saying. Like, no, guess, I'm not questioning you. Yeah. I'm saying in general, like, you, Jesus Christ, like, how, how the fuck do you figure this one out? Yeah, there weren't, you know, we don't have great records. And, you know, these guys went to find a cop. They're like, yeah, I don't know if I should leave my yeah, station. I can't here. leave my post. <laughs> yeah, maybe someone else will catch them. I don't know. 
I don't think you can believe anything. Plus, like the accuracy of any of these records. I don't know. I think it's all suspect. Yeah, I agree. And your final thoughts on this is the one people want to hear. They don't care about what we have to fucking say. <laughs> I, I knew that we were going to get to a point in the story where it was like, well, we don't know. Could be anybody or anything could have happened. Um, well, if it was anything different and we solved this case, we'd be fucking millionaires <laughs> right now. Like we'd have a lot more to say about this. <laughs> It was interesting because I didn't know a lot about anything else other than I knew that we were going to get to a point where it's like there's so many suspects. There's so many different theories that we're not going to be able to cover it all. And who knows what happened? I thought it was I thought it was pretty interesting. It's more interesting than H.H. Holmes to me. Yeah, that was a nothing burger. That show that people get hyped on that. and It's not great. I was the one of the ones we were talking about this earlier today. I think for me, H.H. Holmes was the biggest letdown episode we've ever done because I was so excited for it. Mm -hmm. It's just a con artist. But yeah, the coolest thing about the story is just his cool house. Like he had just this weird house with hidden rooms and contraptions and nothing was ever really proven. And he was a con artist. That's it. We did an entire two part episode on a con artist. Mm -hmm. And like there's theories that are interesting, like the whole masonic thing like the freemasons and all that stuff that's pretty that's a lot of conspiracy theory stuff and yeah that could like i said i've said it i feel like i've said it a million times that could be an episode in itself like or they could just go read a book on it yeah that's why i said earlier you just we gave them go grab a book there's hundreds of books on this out there yeah you can only do so much you can't dive into every single thing no we'd be here forever it'd be jack the ripper podcast yeah jack the ripper pod (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> tell you what i won't be a part of that <laughs> you're bowing out now yeah no thanks three parts was good enough for this one we kept it interesting we gave you the facts let's tap out spoiler alert we didn't answer any questions nope i don't think anybody ever will to be honest i don't either how, how can you like i just like you said unless someone opens a box somewhere and finds yeah something definitive proof or whatever form that might be in yeah oh i'll open that I don't box think <laughs> <laughs> never met a box i couldn't open it well, that's what we're here this coming <laughs> nope never mind Miller this is the time it's time for you to start sucking my cock <laughs> i love how you had all that and then you, had, you had no follow-up though like you were so it's excited all, about that it's all i had <laughs> Oh, Rosemary. Oh, she was here last night. <laughs> so, All right. Yeah. I mean, any I, other? Go ahead. I guess Kosminski, like we said, maybe has the most weight to these ones, I guess. But the one memoir doesn't check out. Saying yeah. that he died early after going to the asylum. Which yeah. He did. And he lived there for a while. So I like I'm intrigued by the idea of it being a female. What did you say? Would, There's a whole Jill the theory. Jill the Ripper. Yeah, Jill that's, the Ripper that's interesting. Like a mad midwife. Yeah. Yeah. Or I was a actually s- talking about this today earlier, Joel the Ripper theory. I can't see a woman doing what was done to Mary Kelly. Not that they're not physically capable of it. I'm just saying mentally capable. I don't mm. see a woman doing that to another woman. Did you ever hear of Catherine Knight? Ian? I did. And that was actually what was told to me <laughs> in response to what I said earlier. No, who's she? Can we cover her? <laughs> we should do a show on that. All right. We should, Mike. Yeah. We definitely should. Yeah, that'd be all right. Cool. All right. Catherine Knight coming soon. The Necronome. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, all right. Anything else on the Jack the Ripper? This is it. No, Now's your chance no. or forever hold your peace. Well, less interesting than I thought. More interesting mm. than H.H. H. Holmes, I think. But yeah. <laughs> that's, that's set the bar low. <laughs> it is what it is. Speculation. Yeah. What can you do? All right. Some new patrons. Uh, thank you very much to Chelsea Ann, Austin Chase, Claire Ashton, Jacob Brown, Gabby Juarez, Jennifer Petty, Jennifer, Dawn, Viggy, Justin Gordon, Coochie Jewel Pod, William L., Diana, Asparagus, Shelby Koontz, Liam Kane, Allie Elizabeth, Alex, James Welch, Kyle Gray, Chelsea, Angelo Reyna, Samantha Stephenson, Kelly Mays, Kimberly Mosley, Scout Senek, Lauren Miller, Deborah Porter, Dave Lux, Taylor Carter, Carlos Zazar, Caddy Pants, April, Larissa Kocher, Raven Brooks, Vanessa Betchel, Andy, Andrew Budry, Sam, Cody, Alyssa, and Katie McGrath. Thank you very much. We are at patreon.com slash Necronomapod. Ian, what do you got? For iTunes, I have one for Danger End Zone. I like theirs, saying that Mr. Muggs died for our sins. <laughs> that was a great one. Fantastic. Um, T. Fitzgerald, 09. Finding Nemeson, C-M-S-S-E-P. This person updates their review every once in a while. Hmm. How do you even know that? Because I recognize the name. Uh, this is probably the fourth, third or fourth time they've done it. Um, but they updated this one to say that they've never heard us say anything homophobic or racist. Oh, well, that's true. So defending us in that whole Thanks. review. Elizabeth Peterson, Vacation Junkie. Hot cop porn. There you go, Dave. Right. <laughs> sounds good. Finally, he's a fan of the police now. Dave's like, yeah, I'll watch some hot cop porn. Bambler, Jay Welch, 96, and Sarah Russell, 86. Thank you guys for the awesome reviews. A lot of good reviews this week. Mm -hmm. Dave, you got anything? No, not really. No. 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 Fuck off, everybody. Is Dairy Queen open? That's it, all I got. Tis not. <laughs> tis not. Missed it by five minutes. Is that right? Yeah. Oof. It's summertime now. They're open till 11. Oh, shit. It's 11.22. Oh, my watch is lying. What you looking at me? I was like... Oh, they, wait. They <laughs> I was like, what time is it? 11.15? Well, in the wormhole that I live in, it's only 11.05. My watch put up a low battery thing, and it was stuck at 11.05. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm on Skinwalker Ranch time. It's like 13 minutes earlier. <laughs> All right, uh, necronomapod.com, or you get contact us there, and all of our socials are there, patreon.com slash necronomapod, and amazon.com, search necronomapod, and uh, we appreciate you guys listening. Thank you so much. All right, you guys ready for a cool down beer? Cheers. <laughs>